Welcome to the Galway Film Centre's podcast, Crew Call. In this limited series of in-depth interviews, each episode will feature a new guest as we chat with successful creatives working in lesser explored areas in film and TV. Each episode sharing unique insight into the career options outside of the more familiar roles in the industry as we hear how each guest got into their particular field and their career paths today. The Crew Call podcast is produced by the Galway Film Centre and supported by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland and RAP, the Western Region Audiovisual Producers Fund. Hello and welcome to Crew Call. I'm your host, Linda B. And with me on this episode, I have the very talented Steve Lynch. Steve is a composer known for Irish films such as Finky, Let Us Pray and The Boys from County Hell. But Steve also writes his own songs and works extensively in commercials both for Irish and international markets, all while being based in Galway. And where do you say you hail from, Steve? I know you're in Saltill now, but are you from Saltill? No, I'm from Dublin. I feel like I'm a permanent blowy in there, really. You know, I know I'll never be truly a go-away person, but I feel like a go-away person. So. And I can see um, just a wide array of instruments there hanging behind you. And I've listened to a lot of your music and it just seems so varied and such a broad array of styles. And I'd love for you to tell us about, I guess, how this journey started for you and how you got into the composing business? So um, how I got into it was I I was in a lot of bands and stuff like that, rock bands and trad bands and stuff like that when I was much, much younger. And um, it wasn't really going anywhere, to be quite honest. So I was just looking into my options. I ended up doing a course in Trinity Music and Media Technologies. And through that, the main thing I found, well, it was incredible. I was I got to learn from Donica Denny, who's an incredible composer, but the main draw of it was there was a recording studio in the college. And I used to book it as much as possible from a midnight slot until the morning and stay in there all night, just learning all the gear. And I guess from that, I, I originally thought I'd probably produce bands and maybe work in radio. I was working in Radio Nalifa in Dublin for a long time as a technician. And uh, I just thought I'd continue with that. But it turned out that there was a film college down the road in Angel Street and they all wanted short film soundtracks. So they found out I, I had access to a studio, which was pretty rare at that point. And um, I just, people just started coming in with their short films and I'd put music on it. And through that, it just, it turned into one of those people going on and getting a job in TV or another getting a job in advertising. And it just kept going. I, I never really thought, like, it wasn't the decision on my part to go into this thinking it would be a career. I really thought it would be something that I just did for pleasure. And so it's, it was very accidental and it just grew gradually then from there. But did you know that you wanted to work in music? You wanted to earn a living from your craft? Absolutely. Well, I, I, I really didn't think it was possible. If I'm honest now, I didn't think it was it was something I would 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 aspire to, but I just really didn't think it was in my grasp. But I think I got a bit lucky in that 
I was always sort of a jack of all trades in that I, I liked the production side of things, gave me access to a palette where I could create lots of different styles of music. And because of that, that becomes very use, useful when you go into TV and stuff like that, because there's, there's always changing briefs and different styles of music. And how was that for you? Did you feel, I mean, when you first started, were you kind of married to a particular genre? Like, and not at all. I think like, like I were, was very aware you know, the first time I got a paid bit of work, which took a while, but I was very aware that I was very lucky to get a paid bit of work. And all I ever said to anyone who rang me up was yes. So if they'd ring up and say, can you record... Uh, an hour of brass band music, I'd say yes, and hang up the phone and then furiously figure out how to record brass band music or if it was jazz or, you know, whatever, punk band or indie rock or synth or a classical piece. I just said yes to absolutely everything and then panicked wildly when I put the phone down. That's That was just the way I did things. And it sort of, I, I figured after a while that like, you, you didn't have to be necessarily an expert for a lot of the time when somebody wants something, particularly for TV or for film or advertising, they want the feeling of something. So as long as you can figure out the general makeup or components of things, and you're very good at deconstructing what you hear into its various bits. Um, that was the key trick. I think it's just, figuring out what was enough to get people to think, yeah, that's kind of the, the atmosphere I want. And it's a lot of the time, it's, it's just about setting the tone and it, you don't have to be exactly on point with every genre. I, I guess it's sort of like people expect a bit of mix of stuff nowadays, particularly in the last 10 years, like there's no one genre expected. Everyone knows that you can meld everything together. So, so let's say in those, let's say I, I'm, I'm guessing, but I could be wrong. Has your process changed at all from when you first started to what you do now? And has, I mean, access to so many different genres online changed that? Or so I'm wondering when you would first get your instructions, let's say from whoever you're working with, and you hang up the phone and you're like, okay, I have to recreate a jazz band sound what would be your first step well like when I started there wasn't Spotify and stuff like that so I'd, I'd I was looking that I was working in a radio station so I'd run down to the vaults there and try to get stuff that sounded like the reference that the person told me over the phone and I just listened to lots of music all the time all the time all different genres and tried to suck it all up um but now obviously it's a bit easier you can get access instantly to whatever you want so it's 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 easier to get a sense. And particularly if you're working, like say if I'm working on a film, I often will ask the director to make me a playlist of stuff that he or she feels that suits the sort of world of the film. Because if you listen to 20 tracks, you kind of get an idea, okay, these are the common elements in all these pieces. And it could be stuff across the board, but they'll often have a com commonality either in the mood, the emotion, or sometimes the instrumentation. So it's a good way to understand someone rather than going straight into terminology. It's, it's, it's often good to just get a, a whole load of references and just ask someone what they, what they wrote the film to or what they, you know, what film scores they like or what music they listen to themselves and just get a sense of the person. Because once you have that down, it's easier to find the bits that they definitely don't like and then remove them 
and then you, you're you're on more solid ground from then going forward with the job. And in terms of emotion, you mentioned emotion there. Um, let's say for a film, does that come into play a lot? Did you kind of have to learn? Okay, this sound makes people feel this way, or did, was that something you kind of innately knew? It really varies depending on the project. Like a lot of the time, you can actually hit the nail pretty hard on the head. You, like you might think it's it's too on point. Like if I hit this sort of a chord when the person looks at the other person, it might feel like too much. But in actual fact, if it's put into the context of a film where there's other things going on, there's dialogue and there's effects and there's sound effects, often hitting the nail quite hard on the head is, is quite a good idea. And then you can, you can always draw it back. I like to think of it in terms of like, if it's already in the script, you don't have to do it. If it's already on the screen, you don't have to do it. You don't need to do everything twice. So if there's someone saying, I love you or I hate you, you don't have to emphasize that with the music because it's already been said. But if there's something isn't being said, music can be very useful in that context to tell the, you know, just give a little hint of what the director or the writer is trying to get across without it being said mm-hmm. overtly. So let's say when you're working on a film, at what point do you start composing? The reality is a lot of the time, you're brought in at the very end. You, only, you might only have a few weeks. That can be kind of fun as well, though, because you're sort of, you're in a very heightened experience. You know, you've got, you're just rushing to a finish line and that can create some good work. You might, like, I think a lot of the time, the process of filmmaking, they like to bring in, people who were involved in post at a fairly late stage. So when like you got a picture lock, sometimes you get the, you get the film, you know, or sometimes like I did a film a couple of years ago, Boys from County Hell. And it was again, quite late in the day, the whole film was done and they sent out three or four scenes to a bunch of composers to, to score. And then the director picked me in the end out of that. And then you were given the whole film as, as, short amount of time really to in this case it was like full-on scoring with like a 60-piece orchestra and stuff like this it varies but it tends to be fairly quick I think you know unless you have a long-standing relationship with someone and they want you in very early and when you do that do you do that with an instrument in your hand let's say when you get that footage and you're you know the, the your process in terms of composing are you are you watching it just with nothing in your hands or the first time you watch it, you were watching it with an instrument in your hands and kind of just naturally? I, I generally pull up some sounds, like depending on what it is, like like I generally have a palette of stuff in the computer, really, that I just work up rough ideas to. And I'd say this to, to younger composers as well, like just don't think, like when you're writing first to the scenes, don't be constantly thinking, oh, I have to achieve this, I have to achieve this. because you just you just play and see what comes out it's just the best thing to do I think. Steve have you maybe ever dealt with those barriers like did those barriers come up anymore let's say you know and maybe in the form of procrastination or maybe in the form of oh this has to be really good therefore I'll maybe I'll just start later (laughs) does that ever come up? No absolutely it's I, I, I always just try to compose through those um through those points where you're not sure you have to get over your your ego you have to be kind of kind of egoless to work professionally in in this because purely because you send people loads of material 
you work really hard at stuff and generally 80% of it is a big fat no. Like, we don't like this. We don't like this. Until eventually, oh, we like this a little bit better. Oh, this works. So you have to be really prepared to throw stuff out. Like, just try to write, keep writing, even through the mental blocks or the insecurity of it's, you know, if you, you know, everyone feels, I can't do this. Sure. You know, I'm doing something at the moment and I definitely feel I can definitely not do this, but I'm going to do it anyway and see what happens. Um, but you can be safe in the knowledge that most things you do will never get hurt. Like it's, you write so much and you throw so much away and that's very important. You can't, if you get really, really hung up on one piece of music that you've given a director or a producer and you think this absolutely works and they say no, you just, you have to just go, I'm moving on. Like that's, even if you spent a week doing it, you just have to be like, right, let's go. Because it's not about you in the end, it's about the film. It's nothing to do, like it's, it's your precious little melody is irrelevant really. If it's not, you could write the most perfect thing that you think, particularly if you're working off a script, you think this is absolutely hitting the nail on the head. But once you get the film back and you see the visuals, if, if it doesn't stick, that you're not doing your job, really. You know? So you have to be really, really willing to just be part of the process and part of the team. I'm sure that's, it sounds challenging, but also freeing. Like, I imagine there's a lot of freedom in that, too, when you just kind of, I guess, continue writing and put all those other thoughts to the side and just kind of focus on the work itself. Yeah, absolutely. It's very freeing, and it's also, like, the there's multiple bits to it. It's the most fun parts are when you, again, don't think too much and you just watch the images and you make the noises and it works. Like sometimes you're overthinking it. Like there was a, again, in Boys from County Hell, there were a couple of scenes in it where it's, you know, violent scenes. And I was hung up on getting this big orchestral sort of sound but in the end, I just played a bunch of guitar over it and it just worked better. And everyone agreed, it, you know, it definitely wasn't what I thought I was going to be doing on that, on those scenes. But it just, it stuck. And I wasn't thinking about it. And we just said, well, look, it's, it's sticking. So you, you just got to go with it then. That's yeah. so interesting. It kind of makes me think of sometimes when you're watching something and the music is almost, it's just not, what you would predict it's almost like it's it can be cynical almost sometimes or it can be maybe so juxtaposed that it kind of emphasizes what's happening on screen again that goes with the throwing things at the wall sort of thing I'm talking about is that you you just don't know like it's particularly at the start of a project you're just throwing things at, at it you're you're writing like often I'm working on a project at the moment a tv thing and I'm, I've taken three or four scenes and I'm just chucking ideas at it and the director's feeding back to me. And it's taken, it's taken a, a, you know, a, a long time to get to the, the point where we are now, where it's actually something that's stuck to it. Mm-hmm. But we've gone through a lot of genres and a lot of, a lot of different ideas and pushing things more towards certain emotions and pushing them away. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I think it's often you just don't know like it, it can seem preconceived to the viewer maybe or the listener they think mm-hmm. oh that's interesting that they did that but oftentimes it's just a bit chaotic and you're like 
oh, that worked. When you reflect on your career so far, is there, can you remember what you would say maybe was the first project where you found out, oh, I, I guess I'm, I'm a professional now. I'm doing this. This is my, this is my job. I've never felt that. It's just, it's, I meet another friend of mine, another composer every year. And we're like, oh, we're going to be found out next. This is last year. We're going to do this because it's, you know, I don't feel like a professional at all. I mean, I feel very, very privileged when the phone rings. And it doesn't really matter what the project is. I just say, if someone's ringing me up, that, that's a great feeling, you know. Maybe it might be nice to touch on some pieces that you've done over the course of your career that stands out to you, that you're proud of. Well, there was one from a horror, a horror film called Let Us Pray from a few years ago. Um, that's actually, it's getting a, a vinyl release quite soon on an English label, which is a great, great thing for me. Um, but it's very very simple sort of John Carpenter style music like 80s sort of horror music but I found it very I was initially very concerned about it that it wasn't complicated enough or there wasn't enough melodic content to it but when we started looking at it to the pictures it just the absolute simplicity of it it's essentially just a baseline with some stuff going on top the baseline became sort of a character in itself throughout the film in a way. And it just, it, it was a note to the audience of something, something is about to happen. Even though it's the most simple thing you can imagine, like a very, very plain baseline, it worked very well in the context of that film and that genre. And I think it did its job. So it's not my flashiest piece of music or anything, but I certainly think it's probably one of the best things I've done in film. And would you say that horror films, come to think of it, are kind of one of those films where the music really is so key in building that suspense and building that yeah. feel? Absolutely. It's it's so that's why it's so enjoyable to do. Um, it's you know I've 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 been asked to do a number of horror things over the years, and it's so there is no you never feel in any way like you're constrained by anything because again like I said about, about the guitars and stuff you you just want to make it scarier or creepier and that can be almost anything it can be it doesn't have to be a very well written musical line it can be something blunt and you know Bernard Herman like you know just slashy psycho strings and stuff like this like that is obviously beautifully written but I, I mean like that it, it can be very effects led, very motif led in a way, uh, just simple ideas. And you never know what it's going to be until you're hitting the, when you're watching the film and you're, you're writing to it. And uh, it's definitely the genre that I feel most sort of free in. Sometimes you, get, you can get caught in the box of sort of a, the shape of a musical style. And you can get, it's, it can be, you know, certain things take a long time to make. You know, like if you're doing a big orchestral piece, it's very time consuming to do. So you can get caught in the maths of it in a way, like in the construction of all the different mm. sections. So it's nice when you just feel like you're not doing that, that you're just playing and watching and reacting. I think that's often some of the best stuff. Mm, that's so interesting. It's almost like a form of acting because it's just so full 
of emotion. Sometimes you get you can get caught in the box of the shape of a musical style. You can get it's it can be you know certain things take a long time to make. You know, like if you're doing a big orchestral piece, it's very time consuming to do. So you can get caught in the maths of it in a way, like in the construction of all the different sections. So it's nice when you just feel like you're not doing that, that you're just playing and watching and reacting. I think that's often some of the best stuff. So when you are then composing for an orchestra, I mean, that sounds like a huge production. I think it's become easier with the, the tools are better now in terms of you can you can mock up a, a orchestral piece easier now on computer than you, you did. It was harder to do, you know, 18, 20 years ago, but it's easier to do now. And as long as you know what you're doing, I'll generally use a sort of Eastern European orchestras and stuff for this um, in that I'll, I'll write the music here and then I will send the sheet music to like Budapest or wherever and they'll record it for me and I can watch it from here. So it's, it's kind of like, like being there, but you get the benefit of your studio ears and that you're, you're in your environment and you can hear what it'll sound like. Um, so that's generally been my process is to just, yeah, it's, it's definitely a longer and it's a, it's, it's a more intellectual process trying to put together, make sure you're doing it right. Cause once you have that amount of people in the room, there is absolutely no margin for error because you've a limited amount of time with, say, 60 people. It must feel incredible, Steve, when you have that extra play your music back to you. That's magic. It's just absolutely magic. I've done it where I've gone over to to see the orchestra perform and I'm in the room. I feel like such an imposter because I come from like a rock background and trad bands. I like it better when I'm here. I can just look at my sheet music and go, okay, yeah, it's it's grand and it's sort of it's it doesn't feel like a reality or you know, I'm more in my my comfort zone. But it's yeah, it's it's incredible. Like anytime you get to do that with a big group of people, it's just they make it a hundred times better than you could make it yourself here. It's magic, pure magic. You have, I'm guessing at this point, written in maybe every genre can you tell me a little bit about the different genres you I guess like you, you sort of I, because I, I spend a lot of time doing commercials you, you do touch on pretty much everything and um yeah it's it's I guess I like there's ones I'm more comfortable in which is sort of the horror and orchestral and I suppose but you end up doing a lot like I spend a lot of the time doing sort of hip hop related stuff for, you know, sort of more modern genres as well, just because of, you know, that's what's required for certain types of commercials or TV work. Um, but I think that like, that's, that is the fun of it in, in that you, it's like a puzzle, you know, you sort of, and it's even more fun sometimes if you're not massively a fan of the genre, because it, it pushes you to try to figure out what's, what works about it or what's good about it what makes that genre happen and get people excited about it so you have to again i think like just i was always very good at deconstructing music like listening to a piece and being able to break it down into all its components and figure out how it was made and that helps when you get 
a new genre you don't really know very well or you know you can just break it down and figure out how to recreate or do something in similar sort of way um so it's i think it's it's that's that's the privilege of it is that it's 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 always something different and always something fun even though the nature of the work is it's extremely deadline heavy which is uh the other side the the more difficult side but it's you know i think if you can work in any way creatively it's uh you know you're very lucky i'm imagining it's pushed you in terms of learning new instruments learning new ways of doing things yeah it's it's not so much new instruments it's really just ways of doing things i think um like figuring out how you get certain sounds and when you need to hire someone in or if you can do it yourself or like the magic of the computer is you can suddenly sound like a very good piano player when you're rubbish or you can you know it's you can it's finding ways to to do things and i've certainly gathered sort of a team around me of of uh excellent session musicians and people I trust and people who can make my writing sound better. We had selected a few pieces of music there. Would you mind talking me through them a little bit? Yeah, there was another one on there um, from uh, a film called Finky by Dahi Keen. He's also a Moy Cullen fella down here. I picked it because it's just what happens sometimes with films in that we were writing all this music. I knew there was orchestra in it and a lot of different genres. It jumps a lot throughout the film. And uh, we got towards the end and he started just mentioning to me that it'd be kind of fun for this one ending end sequence that it'd be, he thought it'd be great if there was a choir. I was like, okay. And, you know, by that stage, you know, we kind of spent most of the money on orchestras and guitar players and all this other stuff. But lo and behold, you know, two weeks later, I'm working with a Bratislava, a choir in Bratislava on this big piece. And uh, it just it just hit the right tone for the right moment, I think. The joy of collaboration is that I wouldn't have thought to do that. It was Dahi's idea. And I was very happy with how it worked. Will it give anything away to say what the scene was? I think it's just, it's it's a character, this Finky character who's had a lot of trauma in his life coming to a realization about what he's been going through and uh, finding peace in a way, or just just the clouds parting in a way. He starts to realize. So that's that's what this is about. Wonderful. Well, let's listen to that piece of music now.
Can you tell me a little bit about your process when you were creating that music? You know, I think my process was with that was the same as anything else with orchestra stuff is to mock it up on the computer and give Dahi a few listens through and see if it worked with all the, the cuts. And um, then we got the, the choir in Bratislava to re-record it. And you were saying there you're doing a lot of commercials as well. I'm wondering the turnaround time with commercials, is it like... With commercials, you have to be incredibly... I remember the first time I did a commercial, which was 2004, I think, um, the producer on the job said to me, you know, I need you to be incredibly good and incredibly quick. And it's worse now in a way in that back then you could do something as a demo and say, this is a demo. It's, you know, I'm going to turn that that line I've done on like a, a crappy sound into, I'm going to get a trumpet player in or I'll get a singer in to do that bit. People understood that as the demo process. Whereas now, if you send any, anything to anyone in advertising, they expect it to be ready to go on the telly like straight away. There's no real demo process. It has to be done. And it, you're often like, you know, uh, you might get a, a call and it's like the turnaround time is three days or sometimes tomorrow, you know, and it can be any type of music, you know, it's just that, but that's, that's the way of it. And I've sort of, managed to to last this long in advertising because I think I, I assume and I've been told that producers sort of know that I do work very, very fast. Um and is the trick to that, as you said earlier, just doing it anyway, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like oftentimes if if I mismanage a bunch of projects or just the deadlines change, sometimes you feel like there's a stack of stuff in front of you. And it's too much to get through. You're like, how can I possibly do all that? So I have to turn that side of my brain off and go, you're doing the thing in front of you. And I say this to my my 11-year-old son all the time about homework as well. It's just like, you just do the, the first thing and you get through the first thing and you get through the second thing. And then the pile gets lower and lower and you just keep going. You make your own hours, you but you do have your deadlines, I suppose, to kind of determine that, do you? Absolutely. You make your own hours, but you have a lot of bosses, let's say. <laughs> and what's that like, Steve? I mean, if you're working on multiple projects. It's good sometimes to be have a few things on, because if you're just embroiled in one thing, often you can't really hear it. Whereas if you go away for a morning and you're doing something completely different, then you come back in, you often have fresher ears. You're just like, oh, yeah, that's completely wrong or that's working or whatever. I'm just get wondering if you're going from one genre into another, do you ever have to just kind of shake yourself and say, okay, now we're not thinking with the classical mind now. Now we're thinking hip hop. Like, or does it just, is it seamless for you? I'm just very used to jumping around now. It's just, I, I, I think because so much of the work is production, like particularly with commercials, it's like it's getting the sound right. And I'm so used to, like I just get, if I get a bunch of references in, I don't really think, oh, now I'm in this world or now I'm in that world. I'm just automatically when I get stuff in thinking, how can I make something in this same area and what's going on there? What do I need to load up here? What do I need to, it's sort of factory mode sometimes. You just, you're, 
I'm not thinking about the end product. I'm just thinking, how is this going to sound like that world? Mm-hmm. It sounds like you have a language around it. It's almost like its own unique language. Like I'm guessing like when you're communicating with whoever you're collaborating with, it's like you're communicating through snippets of music and I guess descriptions, but I, I'm getting the impression that you're probably very good at knowing what people are talking about, maybe when they don't even know themselves, but they're trying to get at something. That's why I often get like a big playlist of stuff from people. If I'm going to go into a big project, say I got a playlist or, you know, just some sort of big idea of what they're thinking. Cause you know, people don't always know exactly how to say something or they might not be sure, you know, they just might not know. So it's good to get an idea of where they generally, what they generally listen to or feel like the project is about. But I, it's much easier, I think, for everyone. One of the benefits of working quick is that if you can get stuff down without thinking about it too much, it's much better to, rather than getting yourselves in a big, long email chain about styles and using musical language, actually write something or a bunch of things and go, here, here's a bunch of things. Is anything in there making any sense to you? And even if it isn't, that'll, you, that'll give you a big bunch of no's on something. So you're like, okay, it was definitely not that. And that's often as helpful as the yes. It's like, okay, well, I know none of those things are relevant anymore. So let's go over here and try these things. So it's, um, yeah, it's much easier to talk about music if you have music written. So I'm I'm wondering when you're, let's say if it's a commercial for a car and you want to create a piece of music, I guess that gets people excited about the car is, you know, I'm wondering, are these skills that you learned through the process of working in this industry or is that something you kind of knew as a composer anyways well, I know how to get people excited about the car with the music or is it like that's something you've been building on that knowledge and that expertise I think you just yeah just the more you do the more you get used to the sorts of tones and how to work with an edit is really it's you know I think it's just it's always about the visual and hitting the visual with the music in the right way and the combination then is what creates a good piece of work but it's like anything I mean I, I you know I came in from this to this and I've learned on the job I mean I've done something like 400 commercial campaigns and it's sort of you, you gradually you know you don't do that much work without learning things on the way you know I'd always just say to people like you know, you can't know everything, but if you if you just pay attention, and particularly to editors, or, or I've always been I've always been friendly with editors, picture editors, in that I think they're they're so important. You know, they're creating how someone sees something. So I want to compliment their edit. I always make the edit more important than any sort of metronomic beat of uh, my music. There might be a bit of give and take, but I often think. If you can hit the edit really well and work really well with the editor, mm-hmm. that the, the viewer just gets a much better cohesive piece of work. Do you feel like you'd like your music? I guess it depends on the project. But sometimes I'm guessing you want the music to stand out and maybe other times you want the music to sort of almost be imperceptible, but yet impact the audience. 
Yeah, I think it's if you get again with the team thing, if you can get, you know, if you can get to know sound editors and sound mixers as well, it's I mean, I, 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 I leave that up to the director all the time in that how loud something needs to be. But mm-hmm. I think it really, it really depends on the project. Sometimes the music needs to be chugging and really going for it. But a lot of the time you want to get out of the way. It's that thing of not telling the viewer the same thing twice. If if the view if the characters on screen are saying something, you don't need to say the same thing. So you need to mm-hmm. get out of the way, and either do something else or just fill spaces. You know, it's um, it's really scene to scene. It's um, as long as the music has some sort of purpose, I think you're, you're doing okay. You know. And do you ever find? that you're impacted by whatever you're working on. You know, if you're if you're working on something that's really uplifting, do you do you ever find, oh, I just feel kind of uplifted today? Or if you're working on something that's really heavy and dark. I think I'm so focused on outcome and on getting the job done that it's sort of it's not that I'm not emotively connected with the work, but I'm definitely not watching it. I'm I'm so, you know, it's only afterwards if I look back at something that I go, oh, that's sort of this or that, or it's funny or it's sad. Or I'm definitely connected with it, but it's not like a viewer's connection. I'm wondering, can you watch anything now without listening intently to the music? No, I can't. And I can't even listen to music um, without deconstructing it. It's it's just that part of my brain turns on and I'm sort of like, what makes this good? Why is this good? Why is this working? What did they do there? That's fabulous, you know. You're always trying to get extra little tricks for your um, your toolbox in a way. You're always trying to siphon off interesting things you hear. And that can be anything. That can be something my kids are listening to or something fabulous on a TV show or, you know, anything really. So some of those other pieces that you were mentioning, we could talk about them a little bit. Let me see. Um, here we might go with the, this, the main theme there from... Boys to County from County Hell, which is uh, a fabulous film. Chris Bow, uh, Northern Irish director. It's a comedic horror, so it got me. It it sort of it was an interesting process in that the kills and the violence is really scary and it's properly scary, but it's also the the humor is is magic. It's a very Northern sort of film and has that witty edge to it. It's about a ancient vampire called Avertach, who's a bunch of construction lads accidentally on earth and they have to put him back in the ground. So when they, they finally manage to get this ancient Irish vampire back under the stones, thus saving the village. On the final kill, a sort of a joyous piece, uh, something that would give the feeling of just catharsis and sort of relief after a very very tense bunch of sequences with a lot of violence i decided just to go full on i guess film music sort of a little bit in the john williams sort of world and that it's a sweeping sort of musical motif and um i was very happy with how it turned out
And can you tell me a little bit about how that piece was created, Steve? Again, just um, watching the characters on screen and writing to what you're seeing and um, not getting too critical because it's one of those sort of sweeping melodies that part of my brain would be saying, no, that's too much, it's too grand. But the visuals were telling me, no, that's right. You know, just go with that and make it even bigger and grander. And so, yeah, I just wrote it for a full orchestra and with the help of the Budapest Scoring Orchestra, got to make it nice and grand and there's something, there's just something that happens when you have that amount of people in a room together and they're all playing a piece of music and the air is hitting the walls. And I just think it sounds so much more, it's just, it's pure magic to me. When I send a, a mock-up, like a computer-generated mock-up, that, and, it, and it's already sort of working, but when you get the real thing back, it's just, it blows your head off, you know? I suppose all those people being together in a room, doing something in unison. Those people are, I mean, it's, it's incredible to watch because the way it works with a lot of these things is uh, they're not, they're coming in and they all just have iPads in front of them with sheet music. And they're doing multiple scores throughout the day. They've never heard this before. They've never seen the sheet music before. The conductor has never seen the sheet music before. They plonk it down, you have your time. And they just bang ahead with it. And it might take two takes, sometimes three takes. But generally, like by the second take, it's like that couldn't be any better. And you're watching these people going, how do they do this? Like, how do they, you know, whatever about me jumping from genre to genre, they're doing it multiple times throughout the day. Like, I often think with things like that, you know, sometimes you do get sad about the state of the world and humanity. And, but sometimes things like that, you creating your music, the orchestra playing it, and just like the beauty of that collaboration and how moving the piece of music can be. It just kind of almost would restore your faith that there's something good, you know, in humanity and in the world. There's something beautiful about it. It's a privilege and you feel like an imposter when you get that amount of people together to do something for you. But it's 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 definitely the most magical thing about the job. It doesn't happen very often, but when I get to do it, it's it's very, very special. Can you tell me about another one of your pieces, Steve, that you've maybe that you're proud of? There's uh, one for a Czech water company. Uh, they got in touch asking if I'd do this sort of medieval sort of thing, but they wanted to make it feel sort of, I don't know, very, very dramatic and sort of a little bit Game of thrones that sort of visual. They said they had access to this choir, which is, it's sort of the equivalent of, I guess, a Nuna or something over here. It's like a national, very famous choir that do traditional Bratislavian music and Czech music and stuff like this. So... Uh, I, I essentially just mocked a bunch of things up, a bunch of choir ideas up and worked a bit with the choir director over there on adding things that I wouldn't know. Like I, I just kept asking them, you know, look what I've written here. Is there a way to do this that feels more like it's Slovakian? Or is there any touch you can give here? Any musical sound effects or, you know, something that would make it feel a bit more local to you? So he was very helpful with that. And yeah, we just stuck our heads together and came up with the piece in the end and uh, got the great 40 singers of Luchnicha Choir to record it in Bratislava for us. Super, um, well, let's have a listen now. Yeah. 
incredible, Steve. It's such a powerful piece of music. And I know that you worked on Dominion Creek as well. Yeah, that that's, I mean, I, that's an, like that, that sort of sound is something that would be very, I, I'm very comfortable in it, in that sort of a, a little bit acoustic instruments, a lot of banjos and stuff like this, but not played necessarily in a straightforward trad or bluegrass in a way, just sort of used to score more, I guess. But those textures were something that were, I was very much at home with. And when I got the call about it, I just knew it just sounded great. And when I saw the first set of visuals to it, I mean, I, just, I couldn't believe what they managed to achieve out there in uh, in uh, Connemara. It was just, the look of it is incredible and the acting was incredible and just a great team of people. You know, I very, very lucky to do two seasons of that. It was really, really good fun. For anyone who doesn't know, I guess we could say that it's it's based in the Klondike, isn't that right? Yeah. And it's sort of, I guess you could say, country western style. Um, it's more, it's sort of, yeah, it's it's frontier sort of stuff. So the, the story was that a lot of Irish people ended up like in the same way they get prospectors going to California for some bizarre reason. A lot of people from from this side of the country ended up in the Yukon, which is far up you know, the north mm-hmm. of... Yeah. Of in fact, a woman from Rossmuck, where I'm from, <laughs> ended up there. Yeah, it's mad. And they're all speaking Irish and having Paddy's Day parades. And it's it's a strange bit of history. You know, there was a reasonable community up there. So I guess I just, there was a lot of, there was some trad elements, but I tried to keep it very, very organic in the way I was scoring. So... There was, you know, in places where you think, okay, I'm going to use some ambient instruments to create a certain feeling here. I always try to use something organic like a harmonium or strange uses of guitars or banjos, like whether to make them into more soundscapes. But another actually sideline of that, another part of that job was, apart from the scoring, I had to sort out music for the barroom scenes. So there's a lot of scenes in, 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 in the bar and there'd be a piano there with someone playing it or pretending to play it. So I had to find a load of barroom music to do that, um, to fill those gaps throughout the, the two seasons. That in itself was a job, funny enough. You wouldn't think about it because it's just, it's, you know, it's what you expect to hear on TV shows with Westerns. It's just that sort of player, plunkety plunk sort of piano playing. But I had to go and find, well, maybe I didn't have to, but I decided to go and find out what sort of music would have actually been played at that time period, which composers would have been most likely with their sheet music, which sheet music would have been most popular in America and conceivably would have been heard up in the bar up there. So there was an American composer called Stephen Foster. uh, And in the 1890s, he would have been like Ed Sheeran, you know, he would have been massive but in a way that it's it would have been sheet music sales. So it would have been just tons of people doing interpretations, piano players and bars, people in their homes. I found a guy who archived old, you know, player pianos where they have the, the sheet fed through the piano. I yes. found a guy, an American guy who was archiving a lot of these and turning them into stuff you could you could transcribe into your computer. So I asked him to pick out a bunch of pieces that he thought conceivably would have been heard at that point. Um, so I feel like 
I was probably, it, it's something that no one would notice ever, but I spent a huge amount of time on the barroom music in the Klondike. I think it all adds to this suspension of disbelief because I often think that as soon as one thing isn't exactly authentically in its place, that that's when it will be noticed. So sometimes not noticing is a sign of success. Yeah, I think so. I like to think I heard a, an interview with a guy who's obsessed with bird calls and he can't watch a lot of films because he's like, that bird wouldn't be in that location at that time of year. That drives him nuts. He can't. He walks out of cinemas all the time. So I know you're a busy man, so I won't keep you much longer, but I wanted to ask you, how would you advise somebody who would like to get into this industry, but doesn't know how, maybe? The only way that, I, like, there's no way to do it. The only way that I know and what worked for me was getting to know filmmakers early on. So you go around the colleges and you, you just ask if you can be involved in things. I mean, really, that's all you can do. Because if... You, it's very, you can't really create your own work. Someone has to need you or want you to do something. If you're young and you get to know a bunch of young filmmakers or producers, and then one of them goes on to do something, you just hope that they'll take you with them, essentially. That's the way it, it works, I think. It's just, you just do what you do, try to connect with people and hope that they'll bring you along to the next thing they're doing. Treat every job as if it's absolutely huge for you. and It, it is huge for you. Even if you don't like the piece of work you're, you're working on, you, it, it could be a relationship with someone, a producer, or like a, someone doing the sound mix might hear it and go, God, that, that person was really good. It's all about just absolutely giving someone a reason to hire you. <laughs> just mm-hmm. going that extra mile for everyone. Because there, there is such competition. Like there's so many people trying to do it. You know, the world is open. It's a lot easier to hire people from everywhere, from anywhere. So, yeah, I think it's just really about connecting with directors and producers and writers and just the other crafts people and just making it an attractive thing for them to think, yeah, we want to work with you. You don't have to be the most incredible piano player or the most incredible whatever player or the best person at scoring. Just having enough skills so that you can fill them out with the help from other people along the way the base level of skills where I would say it's like you need to be very good at production and stuff has to sound right because it's very, very difficult for people to hear past that now, you know. That's that's a key thing. Just just get your chops up on, on production and writing and writing a different style. It's like I think if you don't have any projects on, it's a good idea just to try a bunch of styles and just, you know, it doesn't always have to be film music. That gets a bit boring sometimes. It's just try to write like a bunch of punk songs and maybe that'll filter through into your your orchestra writing you know mm-hmm. it's just throw stuff throw stuff at the wall and don't think too much if i were to ask you for a piece of your music uh i guess just to close the conversation with what's maybe the first thing that comes to mind uh, i i i suppose we could we'll we could finish on something from klondike since we were talking about it yeah, there's a piece from the opening scene of season two um, that it just always stuck with me as kind of effective. I might just end that. It's a gradual build towards extreme violence. It's called He Looked for Justice, But There Was Only Killing.
Agus Rath, a Leda on Crew Call Podcast. 